0: Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm chapter 16. We'll read the whole of the psalm. Hear then the word of the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Psalm 16 is a prayer of preservation. That's how it begins. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David prays to the Lord. He prays with confidence because it's the Lord that he takes refuge in, that he, he hides in, right? The Lord encompasses him all around. Uh, he is his shelter, his high tower. These are all images that are used to describe a little bit of the, the union That we have with the Lord. It's a kind of sign that that it is the Lord who protects us, and it's at the same time a declaration of a total allegiance to Him. And that allegiance and that loyalty extends from God to the people of God, right? The saints, right? The, The saints, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, He says. If you've taken refuge, then in the Lord, your love and loyalty to him will be most clearly shown, your love and your loyalty to his people, to fellow believers. He goes on to contrast those who pour out worthless drink offerings, offerings to idols, and how that leads to being filled with sorrow. He says he won't touch that cup. His cup is the Lord his offering and his fulfillment is found only in God, who is his chosen portion, he says. So instead of finding sorrow, it says that he finds pleasant places, a beautiful inheritance. You know, the Apostle Peter preaches from this psalm on the day of Pentecost. In the first sermon... After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, he says this. He says this of Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus. And he says, God raised him up as God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For, he says, David said concerning him, and then he quotes verses 8 to 11 of Psalm 16. It would sound a little different if you read it in Acts because it comes from the Septuagint the Greek translation of the old testament but but it's the same text in other words this psalm is about jesus it's most fundamentally about the death burial resurrection and ascension of christ and of his pouring out the holy spirit that's what peter says he says that david foresaw now i'm quoting Peter, I'm not just, not just paraphrasing. This is what he says. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Talking about this passage that we just read. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this... That you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this text is about Christ. This psalm is all about him. But it's also uh, about you in as far as you, like David, have taken refuge in the Lord. Jesus Christ is life. And believing in his name is how you receive life. He makes known to me, it says, the path of life eternal life. At the right hand of God was held out a reward of glory for Jesus, which he has now received, now that he is highly exalted. And that glory he shares with you through his spirit, through pouring his spirit out on you. You have thus been given access to what David calls eternal pleasures, fullness of joy, to life itself, the path of life, but only as you receive those things from the Lord Jesus. It's, o- it's only as you believe in his name and take refuge in him. Well, we're beginning today a new sermon series in the Gospel of John. And to begin, we're not starting uh, at the very beginning, uh, but if you want to turn to John chapter 20, we'll read from John 20, verse 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. And so with that, we embark on this new series through this gospel. Uh, I've been preparing for this in some form probably for about two years at this point. The elders could probably tell you I kept saying this is probably what we're going to do next. I've been thinking about it, meditating on it, reading it, studying it, Uh, but I still feel in many ways inadequate uh, as we begin. The good news is that the promise of God is not tied to my adequacy? Uh, this is good news for me and for you. Right? But he does promise to, to speak through his word. So competence is not the primary requirement. I feel somewhat inadequate just because the, the Gospel of John is so weighty. It's so full of, of symbolism that I don't want to, I don't want to miss any of it. But I also don't want to be in the Gospel of John for the next 10 years. I want us to to somewhat move along. Compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the synoptic Gospels, John is kind of peculiar. It's different. It was likely written probably after the other Gospels, written sometime between 60 and 85 A.D. I tend to think that the whole of the canon of scripture was written and finished before 70 A.D. uh, But there's some debate about that. It was probably written from Ephesus. Written mostly to Greek-speaking Jews who were in the diaspora that weren't in Palestine. They were spread out throughout uh, Asia Minor, which would be uh, some of the area that is represented by the churches that John mentions in the book of Revelation those seven churches that he talks about. That region of the Roman Empire is probably who this is written for. It's written by John, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of Thunder, one of the apostles that was closest to Christ during his earthly ministry. John is is one of the three, with his brother James, with Peter, that are kind of in on almost everything that Jesus does. Even when some of the other apostles were not but none of that is what makes it peculiar what makes it peculiar is what's contained in this gospel and what's contained in it most of it the vast majority of it isn't found anywhere else there's very little overlap between the gospel of john and the synoptic gospels there, there's overlap but there's not a lot when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, sh- they have a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same parables, a lot of the same teaching. And then you get to John, and, and he has a few things that he shares, but most of it is quite different. Some have thought because of this that John is writing uh, writing later, and he's filling in some of the things that he thought maybe needed to get out that weren't out yet. Some over the course of the history of the church of thought of the gospel of john is a spiritual gospel not because it's not historical and accurate but because it it deals with in in a in some sense weightier spiritual matters like the divinity of christ and eternal life in a different way not not that the other gospels don't but it just does in a different way here's how the other gospels begin matthew the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Luke, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. But here's how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's peculiar, right? It's different. But just as in the other Gospels, just as in all of the Scripture, this book has been given that you might know Jesus Christ. And that's why we're not starting right at the beginning. Uh, We're starting in John 20 because John tells us why he wrote this gospel. And that should frame everything for us going forward. Everything that you hear in the gospel of John should be framed by these words. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We know why John wrote what he wrote. And the you he's speaking to, again, is uh, most directly, originally, probably uh, Jews who were in the diaspora. They didn't live in Palestine They weren't there during much of the ministry of Christ, which was focused in Palestine. Rather, this is happening outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, being written to those outside, rather, I should say, who maybe weren't there. And John is writing to them. In many ways, when we're reading, you're going to see, it seems almost as though John is trying to convince those Jews who are outside of Jerusalem to not respond to Jesus like many, especially of the the teachers of Israel, did during the ministry of Jesus. He's trying to get them to respond in a different way. He wants them to know Jesus, to believe in him. But he isn't just talking to them. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are part of the you in this text. These are written so that you may believe so that you may have life in his name congregation of christ life is in the balance your life eternal life the life of everyone in the world life is held out in this gospel but life is only found through believing that jesus is who he says he is through knowing him I thought about calling this series Knowing Jesus because uh, it's all about clearing up some of the misunderstanding of who Jesus is. It's all about people learning who he truly is, even when they maybe had some other thoughts about him. I thought about calling it believing in Jesus because that's the call here, right? To believe, to trust, but I've settled on calling it life in his name because that is what is held out to you. If you hear the words of this gospel if you believe these words it's life not just just the beginning of life not just initially if you believe but also if you've already believed that as you learn more about christ so you can experience and enjoy more of the life of christ as as misunderstandings that you have about him are cleared up as you learn more about him as you know him deeper And so believe him more, you will grow in this life that is offered. John begins this section by saying that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He doesn't include everything. In fact, if you think about all that's written in the gospel accounts, the four gospels, you can read this in, I don't know, five hours, six hours. Jesus was likely around 33 years old when he rose from the dead, and you can read everything that we have directly from eyewitnesses about him in, in about six hours. Obviously, this is not everything that happened. This is not everything that he taught. Later on, John is going to say that, that the world itself couldn't contain all the books that could be written about the things that he had done. And maybe we read those sorts of things, and we think, well, that's just hyperbole. I don't know that it is. God has made the world in such a way that you can uh, expand uh, words of describing and, and thinking about things just almost, almost endlessly. Right? Even just ordinary things. I don't know why this was the example I thought of, but I thought about a herd of elephants or a flock. I don't actually know what you call a group of elephants. I didn't look it up either because I thought it was more fun just to be in the dark about that. But just think about it, right? So think about a gaggle of elephants, right? A bunch of elephants. And you could have a a tribe or a village that's nearby and they've kind of learned about these creatures, they know about them, they've been around them for a long time and maybe stories develop about the different families of elephants. They, they, They learn a little bit about them, they kind of interact with them and and then maybe you could have a biologist that comes and, and studies them, studies their organization and, and, and their biology, and he writes essays about it. He writes papers about those. Maybe a naturalist could come to the same group, right? The same creatures. Maybe he would write some kind of animal biography about these creatures, telling the story of their life from their point of view, so to speak. David Attenborough and his friends might show up, make a long-form documentary about everything that they do, probably getting never-before-seen footage. Movie studios might capitalize on it, maybe want to make some kind of animated feature based on the lives of these creatures. Still more. You could have others, right? You could have a poet come and decide he's going to you know, write poems about the movement or the sound or the, the life of these Elephants. I, I know we're in Wisconsin. I don't know why I chose elephants. It's just what came to mind when I was thinking about this. But just think about all the all the words that could be written or spoken about something like that, right? Something like a group of elephants. Why am I saying all that? Well, what about you know? What about a person, right? What about the life of a person? How much more could be written about a man? How many biographies and, and documentaries have been made about Theodore Roosevelt, right, from different perspectives, and that and they tell different aspects of his life or his character or different lessons you could learn from what he did, maybe focusing on his, his actual life or, or his family growing up, his ancestry, maybe focusing on the stuff that, that he wrote. There's so much that could be said. Now, what about the very Word of God, right? God Himself in the flesh. Well, everything that exists, all of creation, is speaking about that God. And so I don't even think this is hyperbole to say that there's so much that could be said you couldn't even contain it all, right? Because all of life and history... All of creation is, is about speaking forth the glory of this God. And so if there's so much that could be said, you have to wonder, you have to ask, why this? Right? Why did John share these things? And he tells you exactly why. He was intentional about what he shared about the life and ministry of Christ. He says there's two reasons, two reasons that he has done this. His purpose is that you would believe, and that you'd believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that he's the Son of God. That's his intended effect on you. If we read this and we don't come out the other side with that belief, with an We haven't really received everything that John wants us to. If you've not trusted in Christ, this whole book, and in turn the whole sermon series in a sense, will be aimed at helping you come to that point of belief, that you would truly have faith in Christ. It's also for those of you who already believe, and it's meant to secure you in your belief And in a sense, fill in those gaps, those those misunderstandings that you have about Christ, that you could have life and life abundant. Throughout the Gospel of John, you see this time and again. It's almost on, in every story, somebody comes to Jesus and asks him a question because they're, they're confused about who he is, about what he says, about what he's doing. Or they ask questions of other people about him right? Could this really be the Messiah? Well, he comes out of Nazareth. How could it be? Well, look at all the things that he does. Is the Messiah going to do more than that? Everybody's a little bit confused about who he is. And Jesus comes and he brings light. He brings light where there is darkness. Now, sometimes when he brings that light, the darkness flees. It runs. It it doesn't respond how it should but for those who received the light he gives the right to become the sons of god so the gospel clears up some of those misunderstandings right it's meant so that you could truly know him and the knowledge that john offers in this gospel is not a static knowledge it's not a it's not a purely intellectual knowledge right knowledge In the Gospel of John, to know Christ, it is covenantal. It's relational. It's true. It's real. That's what he offers. You are meant to be introduced or reintroduced to Jesus. That you might know him, that he might be known through his words. Now, there are many things that John teaches us about Jesus. There are many titles that people use to speak about Jesus throughout this gospel. He's the Word, the Light. He is Lord, Lamb of God, Rabbi, which means teacher. He's King of Israel, Prophet, one with authority. He's the bread that comes down from heaven. He is living water, the way, the truth, the life, the Holy One, the light of the world, the Sheep Gate the good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life. He is the true vine. There are many ways that that others speak of Christ and that Christ speaks of himself. But all of it, John will sum up in just two things that he wants you to believe. In fact, the Gospel of John, although it it, it might not uh, seem like it on the surface, is really repetitive. It'll, it'll be repetitive, and over and over, some of the same things about who Jesus is are taught. Because that's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know just really just two things. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and to believe that he is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. That is, he is the Christ. Jesus, the Christ. We you know we think of Christ almost as part of his name but it's not it's a title Christ is not his last name it's a title He's the long awaited davidic king right a king that was supposed to come in the line of david to set up his kingdom in Israel to save Israel to set up a new covenant with her and to be the presence of god with the people forever This is all promised To the people of israel in the old testament for john's first readers this had particular meaning messiah as a mostly jewish audience at least at first john's making an apologetic case to them that jesus is the one that they've been told to wait for that they've been told is coming it's him he's the one the one that all of the old testament promises and points to the one that's come for the lost sheep of Israel to unite the twelve tribes, to establish the kingdom of Zion that all the nations of the earth will flow in and bring tribute there. But what we find out is that this is going to be a spiritual kingdom. The water that represents God's judgment and his renewing life is not going to come from a physical well, but from the side of Christ. He gives living water, and it flows by way of the Holy Spirit that he pours out from on high. And though Jesus is truly the Jewish Messiah, the one who's come for the lost sheep of Israel, that's only the beginning of what he's come to do. The fact is that he is Messiah, which means he is Savior. And he's not just one Savior. He's not just a Savior for some. He is is the Savior. Savior. He didn't come only for a handful of people in Palestine. He came for the world. He's the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist will say. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He is not just a Savior, he is the Savior, and so He can be your Savior. And you are in need of, of a Savior. Do you know that? Do you know that you need saving? I think most of us probably do. You know, we we uh talk of, you know, metaphorically speaking, about somebody that goes around and and you know uses the Bible to hit somebody over the head with them. We talk about that as somebody who's maybe maybe being a little bit too much, laying things on a little too heavy. Well, there are some people uh, that don't think they need a Savior, right? There are some people that, in their pride, think really highly of themselves. They think they're doing pretty well. Thank you very much. And these are the kinds of people that Jesus, in his ministry, as we'll see, and even now, in a sense, metaphorically, need to be hit over the head with the Bible, right? They They need it heavy. They need their sin pointed out because, because they don't think that they are sinful. I'm convinced that most people today, most of you, probably know uh, that you're sinful, at least in some form. Right? You know that you are a bit of a mess. Now, there's still danger for us, even in that. There's still danger that we're going to uh, psychologize it away. We're going to pretend it's not real. We're going to blame our sin on others as if they are responsible for it. We're going to blame it on our circumstances, right? There's there's a danger that we'll try to obfuscate from the responsibility of our sin. But I think most people have a a sense today that they're a mess that there's something wrong, right? We're we're well-practiced in covering things up, but it's hard to cover things up when it's really bad. When you think about most people coming from broken homes and in bad relationships, the sexual chaos and addiction all around us, the, the kind of animosity and hatred within so many families and relationships. Think about the loneliness, the disassociation that so many experience, right? Just that, the constant reaching out for some kind of pleasure, because you think in it you will find fulfillment or hope or joy or purpose, and then it always comes up short. So you feel purposeless, without meaning. In that kind of a place, it's hard to cover it all up. It's hard to. I'm not saying we can't, right? We're as sinful people. We're very capable of hiding from the truth. But I think most of the time, we recognize there's a problem. And when you recognize that, when you see it, that can be incredibly depressing. It can be discouraging. It can be soul-destroying. Because you see it, and it's so dark. It's so ugly. The reality of sin. But Jesus Christ has come the Messiah, your Savior, if you will believe in him, if you will look to him and know him, if you will place yourself in his hands, he can save you from your sin. He will save you from your sin, from temptation, from the devil, from spiritual darkness, from wrath and judgment that you are due. The Savior has come, the Messiah, and he can save you because he's not He's not simply a man. He's not simply an earthly figure. He is that. He was fully man. Right? He, was, he was completely and truly a man. And yet he is also the Son of God. He didn't become the Son of God. He has always been the Son of God. He is the eternal, only begotten Son of God. The second person of the Godhead. The word of the Father revealing to us the God who is spirit. He was in the presence of the Father before all things were created, sharing in his glory. He is one with the Father, so much so that when he says he's going to the Father and he tells his disciples, you know the way to get to the Father. And Philip says, we don't We don't know where the Father is. We've never seen the Father. How would we know? He says, Philip, have I been with you this long and you don't know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He is the very image of the invisible God. And so if you want to see God, it is Jesus Christ that is God made flesh. If you want to know God, the Son of God has made him known. If you are to believe, there must be an object of that belief, right? Belief in something, someone. And the object of that belief, if you would have life, has to be the Son of God. There are almost as many ideas today about God and who he is, what he is, as there is people. Some say that he is complete, total, and ultimate will. Some say a kind of of force that's within everything, within all of us. Some say that you are God if you will simply come to the realization, you'll wake up and realize it. Some say that we are all part of some kind of universal God. Maybe our galaxy is just one of the neurons in a multiverse in the mind of God. Some just say there is no God at all. There's nothing like that. Well, if you want to see and know and believe in the true God, you can. He is knowable. He can be known. Uh, It it is not impossible to know him. He can be known. In fact, he has made himself known. But the only way to do so is by seeing and knowing and believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why John wrote these things. The only way to see him, to know him, and thus to believe in him and grow in that knowledge and belief is through his word. Through these words that make that word known. And John writes that you might believe so that You could have life. You know, we think about life. We think, well, we're alive, right? We're all alive. Look at us. I mean, we're here. We're moving. We're breathing. Our heart is beating. That's not real life. That's not life to the fullest. Life abundant. Life eternal. Never-ending, always-growing life. You can have life in science, right, in in biology, uh, but not truly be alive, still be disconnected from the true uh, purpose and meaning of everything, to still be disconnected from any, any true fulfillment and joy in anything. You can still be disconnected from life. Apart from the Son of God, you cannot truly live. You've never yet begun to live if you've not given your life to him. But to all who believe, he offers living water that fountains up to eternal life. This never-ending, always-growing and expanding life. It's what David, in Psalm 16, called pleasures forevermore. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you will hear and believe the words of this gospel, then you can know him and you can live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have made known to us the path of life. And we, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, through this gospel of John as we as we've heard some of it now, as we will hear more of it, that you would speak, that it would not just be dead letters on a page, but your spirit would bring these things to life, would illuminate the words of this gospel so that we could truly see you and know you and believe in you and believe in you all the more to grow in our faith. To grow in our understanding. We ask Lord that whatever it is that you desire to accomplish. Through this series would be accomplished. That you would be at work to shed light. Where there is darkness. And to bring life where there is only death. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.